we are ready to scripture down. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. And as we're fond of saying, we get to know him more by knowing the word. And here with us again on this fine Thursday morning, Sharon Dorn from the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Good morning, Bruce. Scripture down. Wow. Yeah. That, that's a new one on me. <laughs> we're going to scripture down. We're scripture we, right down. Right down on it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's well, great. we have some uh, kind of uh, bittersweet news, I guess, in terms of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study in the mm. book of Genesis, slated mm. uh, this fall online, and uh, you're kind of full. I know we're yeah. full. Thank you so much for, for uh, announcing us and promoting us. We are completely uh, maxed out to our capacity, which which uh, more came in yesterday, and it just ah, it breaks yeah. my heart. Uh, so so we're still taking uh, a waiting list, and maybe we'll get a bigger venue or... or you know, we'll Coming see. Coming soon we'll, to we'll, the Quest Center. Sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> but we'll we'll see what God does. I just, yeah. I, it breaks my heart to turn anyone away from studying Scripture. So the one good thing is that we do have um, the distance learning program available on our website, oh, okay. and so anyone anyone can still take it at home, right in the comfort of your own home on your computer. And we're really um, revamping that this summer. And we bought some new um, uh, software and hardware. And, and so it'll be an instant download and really uh, a lot higher quality. So I, I do hope uh, you don't get discouraged. Still go ahead and register. You don't have to pay anything. If, if we get a bigger venue, you'll be notified. Um, but those of you in Grand Island, Lincoln, Kearney, wherever, I know your, your, your listening area is growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. So you guys can all take Seeking True online if you just go to seekingtruth.net and uh, hit the tab for distance learning and we'd love to have you join us okay and uh, of course uh, that will start uh, this september again and uh, as it said right now it'll be at creighton prep again right. uh, unless a bigger venue possibly can be found so mm-hmm. book of genesis there you go seekingtruth.net well let's us continue seeking truth through uh, the uh, scriptures uh, we've been in john uh, John 20, uh, last time we were together, we were talking about the uh, empty tomb, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, mm. and uh, we're going to uh, roll up with uh, you know Jesus uh, seeing his disciples, and then uh, mm-hmm. also uh, the, the big one with uh, Thomas. Yeah, I just, I, I love this chapter, John, John chapter 20, because like you said, Mary Magdalene's in there, and then uh, Divine Mercy Sunday, we had the reading of Doubting Thomas. Americans right. say Doubting Thomas. <laughs> Greeks say the touching of Thomas, and Slavonics say the belief of Thomas. But here in America, we, we, we say Doubting Thomas, and we named our third son Thomas, and I thought, oh, are we sure, you know, this, and as I study this apostle, I am just this guy knew the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, to me, he is so incredibly inspiring. So, so I do want to take a look at him today. He is the one who gets to to get his hands right in the life-giving side of Christ, right in the wounds. And he probably makes, I would say, the strongest declaration of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all Scripture when he exclaims, my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has no doubt at that point. And, and Jesus invites him to touch him and to actually enter into his woundedness. And those are the wounds which won Thomas and us our salvation. Because what springs out of those wounds, the life-saving blood of salvation and the water of our rebirth in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Thomas is a Jew 
all the apostles are Jews, but they have a problem with, with this blood thing because they knew from Torah, from the book of Moses, that in Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says, the life of the creature is in the blood, mm. and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And then in, in verse 14 of Leviticus 17, because the life of every creature is in its blood, that's why I said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the the life of every creature is in the blood, and anyone who eats of it must be cut off. And then in Deuteronomy 12, 23, he says, uh, but be sure you do not eat the blood because the blood is the life and you must not eat the life. I mean, so then when Jesus says in John 6 that unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life. And and you know the mass exodus. Oh, that I mean, had to be like a bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just can't believe people, you, you, you ha- when you read John 6, how can you not, mm-hmm. <laughs> how can you not, I, 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 of course, they didn't have the Holy Spirit at this point. Half of them, leave it. We, this is crazy. We can't, we know the law of Moses. We can't follow this. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I mean, it's pretty crystal clear. He's not talking figuratively. And they I'll leave except except his his small inner circle and they say lord d- d- you know we don't get this but to whom can we go you have the words of everlasting life and they won't get it until the holy spirit comes but you can see where this was a stumbling block and and so we know that the life is in the blood and christ has just shed his blood on the cross and and uh, what john has in john chapter 19 he's the only one that has that pierced side of christ on the cross and out of his side gushes forth water and blood it's the river of life it's the blood of the Eucharist. And uh, Thomas is going to get to stick his hand right in the water and blood. Why? Because he's a priest. And he's going to have to bring these sacraments to the furthest east of anyone, of all of all the apostles. He's going to have a really tough job. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, uh, God is so good how he engages our human senses, um, how tangible that must have been for Thomas. It's interesting because Mary Magdalene, uh, she doesn't get a touch. Right. You know, she goes to cling on when she finally recognizes this gardener. Oh my gosh, this is Jesus. She goes to, to grab him, to hug him, and, and he says, ah, do not touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's not allowed to touch. He doesn't want her clinging to him. But Thomas is allowed to go right into the side of Christ. Now, isn't that such a dichotomy, such an interesting contrast in that same chapter of John. Mm-hmm. So I want to look at that a little bit. Um, in Eucharist, we ourselves get to see and touch and taste the living God. He lets us have it all, Bruce. It's like whatever it takes. John 1, 1 says, that which from the beginning, we had sh- which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, we have touched. I mean, he, he, he lets us use our human senses because that's how we know. That's how we know. And so, um, but Mary, Mary just hears it and she's, she's in the garden and Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And the minute she hears him call her by name, mm-hmm. she says, Rabboni teacher. I, and, and so right. he calls her by name and there comes her belief. She instantly knows when she hears him call her by name. Now, Thomas, Thomas 
it, it says, I, I won't see that. He, he unfortunately wasn't there the night, that same night when he appeared to the, to the 10 behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, their meeting. And uh, Thomas, w- w- Judas, we know it already hung himself. Thomas, we're not told why he's not there, but there are 10 in the, so Thomas misses it. The risen Lord comes to them through locked doors and, and Thomas isn't there. And so he's, I'm not going to believe it. I can't believe it unless I see with my own eyes and touch, I will not believe. And it's such a bummer for Thomas to have missed that moment. He must have been devastated, but such an ultimate blessing too, because now because of that, because he wasn't there, he gets to come a week later and actually stick his hand into the wounds of Christ. I mean, he he's going to have such a powerful encounter with the risen Christ. So um, one thing about Mary, she hears her, her name being called and uh, Jesus says, don't touch. Well, he doesn't want her getting reattached to his physical body, mm. his glorified body, because this isn't the way she's going to experience him now. Right. He knows I'm here 40 days. I'm out of here. I'm back to my father. I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. But he don't get attached to this because this isn't staying. The way they're going to commune with him now in the fullest, fullest uh, way is going to be through through Eucharist, right. through the breaking of the bread and through the scripture burning within them as we had last Sunday on the road to Emmaus. And so I think he's just saying, Mary, don't don't get attached to this. This is not, do not touch me. You know, we you will have fullest communion with me. Don't worry. You will have fullest communion with me when you eat my body and drink my blood. And he knows that and she she can accept that. But um, Thomas, 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 he's going to handle differently. And Thomas will be one of his first priests. He's going to need this powerful encounter. Spirit Mornings on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Bruce McGregor joined by Sharon Doran from the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study as we are going through John. We're on the uh, way to kind of setting the table here for Thomas and his encounter with the Lord. So I'm going to uh, read from uh, John 19 here. Uh, uh, We're in chapter 20, verse 19 going forward. Wonderful. All right. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were uh, together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. Amen. Amen. I love, wow. I love even that last statement, how John says, you know, this was written so that you may believe. And we're the ones who haven't seen, That's you right. know, blood, you know, and Jesus says, you know, you, you, Thomas, because you have seen, you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Oh, wow. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. Um, so Thomas is invited to put his hand inside the side of Christ. And that is the origin of the church. That is where water and blood flow. That is the water of rebirth of baptism. That is the blood of the Eucharist. And this is huge for Thomas. So um, we've seen, it's it's just reminiscent. We're in this chapter, and we're in a garden, and we're in a new garden, an Easter garden. And we think of the old gardener in an old garden where there's thorns and thistles after the fall. The old gardener is Adam. The new gardener is Jesus Christ. The old gardener, Adam, had a spouse pulled from his side, a beautiful, comp- a perfect union in, in Eve made exclusively for him. Jesus Christ sleeps on the cross and will have a bride pulled from his side, a perfect bride, a blemished, free, perfect bride, the church, a one flesh spouse, spousal union in in the form of blood and water. And so that's what Thomas is being invited into. And he will be one of the first priests of that church. And and what is a priest? One who stands in person of Christ, in persona Christi. So wow, this will be a powerful, powerful encounter for Thomas. Um, One John 5 tells us that this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. I love that, because Mm -hmm. in Jewish law, there had to be three. You had to have three witnesses to testify to the validity by Jewish law. So here we have three that testify, John tells us, water from his side, blood from his side, and the Spirit. Where did we hear about the Spirit? All through John's Gospel, water and the Spirit. But John 19, verse 30, as he hung on the cross, when he had received the drink, and that's the last, the final cup, the Passover cup, the fourth cup, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his Spirit. Now, some people just read over that and and don't think about it, but John has had this beautiful irony all throughout his gospel and these double meanings. Yes, there there could be a double meaning here. It's finished. He gives up his spirit. Some translations say he gives over his spirit. That could mean he dies. (laughs) He surrenders his spirit or... You know, it's also in this, he's done, he's, he's done this perfect obedience, this complete sacrifice for our salvation, everything obedient to the will of the Father. And now he gives, it is his job is finished and he gives over his spirit. So it's, it's this transition into the age of the spirit, right. which is the age we live in and water, blood and the spirit, all three testify and all three are in agreement. So John is, is uh, one of the 12, um, and Jesus is restoring the 12 tribes of Israel in these new 12 apostles. And Thomas is Jewish, as were all the apostles. And Thomas believes this is the Jewish Messiah. This is the one we've waited for. This is the one that's come. This crucified rabbi who I last saw hanging on a cross, who I never thought in a million years ha- has risen from the dead. He's conquered death. He is my Lord and my God. So he is, is one of the first priests, a new priest in a new order, in a new creation, in a restored Israel. Israel, and uh, Jesus Christ is making all things new again in this new Easter garden. But uh, Jesus knows that Thomas has a huge assignment ahead of him. Mm -hmm. He knows where he's sending him. And uh, he's going to need this powerful encounter because he's got a really rough 20 years ahead of him. Thomas is the one sent to 
Parthia, Persia, and India. He goes the furthest away out of all the apostles. He's sent east. He goes outside the Roman Empire. He covers the most ground, and and he is sent into hostile territory. And he will use, in this next 20 years, this powerful encounter, this powerful personal testimony is going to bring many souls to salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and you just think back when he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put it in my hand into a sight, I will not believe. But now Thomas believes. He, he had to see. He had to touch. But this will be such a huge uh, uh, experience for him, and he will go on to just tell the world about it. And, you know, Hebrews 11 tells us about faith. Uh, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's hard for us as humans. You know, we sure hope this is all true. I sure hope so. When my dad died, Bruce, uh, we put him in the ground. Uh, He was a wonderful father, great patriarch, loved the Lord. And we put him in the hole in the ground and walked away, and I thought, wow. I sure hope this is all true, yeah. what Dad taught us, because, wow, we're all just leaving him here in the hole in the ground and walking away. And and then the Lord gave me so many consolations. But I did have doubt. You know, I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just uh, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it's because of men like Thomas and his powerful testimony that we can have this certainty. Thomas is sent to India. He's going to convert many uh, Brahmin Hindus to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Hinduism was one of the oldest world religions, and this is where Thomas is sent. Mm -hmm. And there are still St. Thomas Christians um, that have been for over 2,000 years, and we just had our postage stamp of of Mother Teresa in in 1972. The government of India had a postage stamp of St. Thomas in memory of his martyrdom. He had a strong encounter with the living God, and he uh, brought that to the people of India. And um, who else had strong encounters with the living God? Testimonies, conversions that you that they would you know that were so powerful. Acts chapter nine, Saint Paul on the road to Damascus. Yeah, that's a big one. You know he he was willing to be crucified. His head was was sliced off by by uh, under the rule of Nero. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist beheaded, no question asked. Stoning of Stephen. We we had that this week in our readings. Just the beautiful countenance on his face. Nothing was changing his story. Uh, the beheading of Saint James in Acts twelve by Herod in forty about 44 AD, willing to, another one's head sliced off. Philip martyred, Andrew martyred on a, a cross. Uh, James the Lesser beaten and thrown off the pinnacle of the temple. Matthias stoned to death. Jude, also called Thaddeus, beaten to death with a club, beheaded in Persia. Bartholomew was flayed alive, crucified head down. And Thomas, today, our Thomas, is pierced through with spears by four soldiers, like in all directions, in 72 AD in India. Martyrdom is convincing proof to us of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. All these guys that had a personal encounter with the risen Christ, the living God, are willing to give their lives for it. No, we didn't see it. Yes, we know it's true. Why do we know it's true? Because the the Bible, there's so much uh, history that we can read, but also the testimony of these guys, these powerful encounters and the story they share. Our church, uh, the Catholic Church, celebrates his feast day on on July 3rd, and uh, he just takes the gospel the farthest. And and they are told in Acts 1.18, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all all the ends of the earth. Thomas is the one who had to go to all the ends of the earth. And so um, I'm sure he remembered many times this encounter with the risen Christ. And the Hindu people, I mean, they weren't looking to be Christianized. You know, Hindu, mm-hmm. uh, that's a mixture of pantheism and mysticism. 
um, it's today still one of the, it's still the third largest world religion after Christianity and Islam, 950 million Hindu followers, 14% of the world's population. So, I mean, Tom has had his work cut out for him. Indeed. You know, can you imagine? And so, you know, Thomas reminds me a little bit uh, of Jonah. I remember when Jonah in the Old Testament is sent to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, the pagan, heathen Ninevites. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Are you kidding me, God? Uh, I I wonder if Thomas kind of thought, the Hindus, really, Parthia, India, really? Uh, But because of this encounter, he's willing to be obedient. His faith is bolstered uh, from from putting his hand in the very birthplace of the church and bringing those exact healing sacraments to the East. And uh, we were talking in Scripture, a lot of times uh, people were banished to the East. Mm -hmm. And Ezekiel 47 tells us that water will come from the threshold of the temple toward the East. And, And so, like, Thomas is that one being sent far, far, far east for the healing of the nations, bringing the sacrament, uh, uh, sacraments of the church. So um, a very, very powerful encounter. Now let's look to, um, um, you said that on the night, uh, they were, 10 of them were, were locked in this room, mm-hmm. that Mary Magdalene has seen him earlier in the morning. Now it's night. They're locked in this room, 10 of them. Thomas isn't there. Judas isn't there. Um, and they are overjoyed when they saw the risen Lord. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And that's just not like peace. That is shalom mm-hmm. peace. That is that is pure, pure Shabbat covenant rest peace. This new gardener, this new Jesus Christ, this new Adam is restoring the broken covenant that that, that uh, Adam and Eve fell from grace. Jesus is restoring all this. And, and we're going to see that uh, Sunday is going to become the new Lord's Day. It, it won't be the observation of Sabbath. There will there'll be years it'll take time for this to evolve in this transition time, but Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is going to be the Sabbath rest. He's the new Sabbath rest, and they will start celebrating on Sunday. We see uh, a week later again is when he appears to Thomas again on Sunday. So Sunday is going to be the day they start breaking bread together. They start celebrating in true spirit and truth. Um, uh, That'll be the new Eucharistic day. And so... um, Let's see what happens there. And they again, Jesus says, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them. Again, that's a very intimate breathing, breathing. God breathed life into Adam. God himself, the risen Christ, is breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. These 10 priests are really getting a private Pentecost. Mm-hmm. We know Pentecost will come 50 days later for the church, for the life of the church. 120 Christians will be gathered in the upper room with Mary. This is a private Pentecost. He's breathing the Holy Spirit on these 10. And uh, and uh, last time we saw him giving up his spirit, now he's breathing his spirit on them. So we have this transition time into the age of the spirit. And it's just... Um, We'll celebrate Pentecost on June 12th this year. Uh, These guys get this little private Pentecost. And why? Because it's a new priesthood, and they're going to need the Holy Spirit. And the big verse here is 23. Right after that, he says, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, 
I'm sure they themselves had some confessing to do. Can you imagine? I mean, they're human. They all left him at the foot of the cross, except for John and and the women, Mary and the women. And Peter denied him. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so can you imagine? They're behind these locked doors. Well, where'd you go? I don't know. I didn't see you there. You weren't there either. Well, neither was I. Well, where'd you, and where'd you take off? I was scared. So you can, you can imagine they had some some confessing to do amongst the brotherhood. John is the only one who, who stays. But, um, you know, some people say, have you have you heard Bruce people say that um, I can go straight to Jesus with my sins? Oh, I don't yeah. need to go to confession. I go straight to Jesus, straight mm-hmm. to God. And I, I'm just wondering where it says that in Scripture, because I have never found that. He's He's my personal God. I can go straight to God with my sins. I don't need a priest to tell me I'm forgiven. I go straight to God. Really? <laughs> because then how do you know your sins are forgiven? Because that's, right. that's the second half of that verse. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He's not saying this to everyone. He's saying this to 10 men gathered behind locked doors. The risen Christ is saying this to his first 10 priests. Mm-hmm. Really? So so how do you know that your sins are forgiven? And, you know, Jesus made us. He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows we're going to have doubts. He knows we're human. He knows how our minds work. He knows how he gave us these senses for a reason, our human senses. And he knows that we'll ask ourselves, am I really forgiven? You know, you go straight to Jesus in your bed at night and, 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 and uh, well, you know, maybe a sin that's haunting you from the past or something you've done and redone and you say, this is too horrible. God can't forgive this. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm too ashamed. I can't go to a priest. I'll just take this straight to God. And uh, if he came to free us from sin and the power of death, if he came to set captives free, if he came to seek and save the lost, if he really rejoices over one repentant sinner more than 99 righteous people, if he goes after one last sheep, then then shouldn't we take this? This is why he came. He came to forgive sins. That's, That's right. something only God can do. And this God, this risen God, is giving authority directly to this new priesthood, the power to forgive sins in his name. It won't be by their power. It will be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the most personal encounter with the living God that we can have when we have our sins forgiven. And, and as humans, we, I need to hear it. I need to hear it. I need to hear the priest say, you know, I absolve you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then I know my sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Then I don't have to revisit that sin ever again. It is forgiven. I saw him say it if I went face to face. I heard him say it. He's sitting in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. Pope uh, Paul VI said, acting in the person of Christ, the priest unites himself most intimately with the offering and places on the altar his entire life, which bears the mark of the Holocaust, the sacrifice. And in confession, we hear and see the priest say, through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can go out of the confessional and know you are forgiven. You can know with your human senses. And and sin, uh, no sin is private because Every sin we do affects the body of Christ. Right. So like we don't, you know, saying I go straight to Jesus. Well, okay, fine. But what about the body of Christ? Because your sin hurt the whole body of Christ. I have not only sinned against Christ, but I've sinned against the whole body of Christ, the church. No sin is done in private, no matter what you think. That's I'm just right. doing this all on my own. I'm just sitting here. I, no, no sin is done. In, it, it, it might be done in private, but every single sin affects the body of Christ in some way. So if the church is the bride of Christ, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, the church and Christ are one flesh. It's a, that's, a, that's a spousal, a marital union, a nuptial image. 
then we need to be forgiven both by Christ and by the church. Mm -hmm. So we need to confess to a priest who is an agent of Christ in persona Christi and also an agent of the church if you want true forgiveness and if you want to know that your sins are forgiven. Catechism 1462. You want to read that, Bruce? I would love to. Forgiveness of sins brings reconciliation with God, but also with the church. Since ancient times, the bishop, visible head of a particular church, has thus rightfully been considered to be the one who principally has the power and ministry of reconciliation. He is the moderator of the penitential discipline. Mm. Priests, his collaborators, exercise it to the extent they have received the commission either from their bishop or the pope, according to the law of the church. Mm, amen. And I, I, I was so inspired on our final night at Seeking Truth. People came up, uh, we had open mic, and they came up and told how the scripture had touched them this year. And I heard at least six people come up on this scripture of confession. Um, one woman hadn't been had had kept a sin unconfessed for over forty years. Mm-hmm. She'd been to confession many times, but this one thing she just went straight to God on. She was too embarrassed, and she had uh, she made it right before um, Easter. Went to a priest face to face, and and another man hadn't been for ten years, and another woman at age seventeen had done a sin she had never confessed, and and so like it was it was it was the spirit of the living God convicting their hearts when this was read and explained. Like today, the eunuch, uh, um, Philip has to explain. He has to break open the scriptures and help explain. This is the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation, and it's so beautiful. Uh, Pope John Paul used to love to hear confessions and how much he learned of the human, how much I'm so thankful for all the confessions he heard because it helped him understand what it is to be truly human. Mm -hmm. And his wide experience through hearing all those confessions gave him deep deep insights into the human uh, into the human person, into sin, into guilt, and especially into God's divine mercy. How beautiful that he was beatified on the Feast of the Divine Mercy. Oh, yeah. he, he, how perfect for him, and, and how much this must have helped him write this masterpiece of the theology of the body that's, that's exploding in the life of the church. Just this deep understanding of, of, of God's mercy. So I mean, we see it time and time again in John. He goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. She's never been loved like this before, and, he, and, and he's, he's honest with her. He says, you know, this man you're living with now is not your husband. Go and sin no more. The woman caught in adultery in John 8. This I don't condemn you, Jesus said, but go and leave your life of sin behind. The paralytic he healed in John 5, he says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He has come to set the captives free, to seek and save the lost, to free us from our sins. But he does it through a priesthood. And sin had always been forgiven through a priesthood. I'd love to trace that back for you sometime. We don't have time today, but the old it, this was always done this way. Priests always were there for the to be the mediation for the atonement of sin. Jesus Christ will be the new high priest, but he will still have a priesthood so that we know, so that we know that our sins are forgiven. Uh, it is just a, a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful grace-filled sacrament full of grace. And I encourage anyone out there who's been away from confession for whatever reason, there's nothing you have done that God will not forgive. There's nothing you're going to tell the priest that's going to shock him. He has sealed himself. He has sealed himself to uh, confidentiality by the grace of that sacrament. Go to confession. Let his grace wash over you if you have a sin that you have not confessed for a long, 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 long time, something you thought you could go straight to Jesus with. 
go to a priest in the person of Christ. Let him uh, absolve you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And let uh, your sin also be reunited with his church, who you have also sinned against. Humble yourself. You will come out full of his grace, full. Uh, it just, just, oh, it's the best kept secret. It's the best kept secret we have. Amen. Amen. Yeah, hearing those words of absolution, never a time it doesn't, uh, you mm. know, just warm you. I mean, literally right mm. down to your soul to mm. know that that forgiveness is forgiveness. Yeah, it's a living encounter with Christ and why he came to forgive us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Wow, fire up. All right, get the confession, everyone. What you call scripture down? Scripture, scripture down. down, people. We've been, we've been scripturing down on Thursday here with Sharon Doran from the Seeking Truth oh, Catholic Bible Study. Thank you, Bruce. Yep, and again, if you want to uh, participate in the uh, distance learning for the uh, Book of Genesis study coming up this fall, go to SeekingTruth.net and get the information there. Uh, Sharon had mentioned when we started uh, the uh, basically the week to week is is full at this point, so uh, there is a waiting list going. And uh, if uh, you want to participate for sure, uh, check out uh, the distance learning there on seekingtruth.net. Thank you, Sharon. We appreciate it. God bless you. Thanks. Have a great day. All right.